If you'd open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy 34. And I want you to reach into your mind's eye. And uh, have you ever been hiking up a mountain? Um, I, when I was uh, a younger man, um, I had just uh, had a knee surgery. And part of my rehab for my knee surgery was hiking up Mount Tam. And uh, I would take one of my kids in a backpack. And we would scale the mountain together. And it was a lot of fun. As the years have gone by, it's gotten a little harder to do. Uh, put my kids in a backpack and carry them around. Uh, it gets harder and harder. In fact, I haven't tried it in several years. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on your, your, uh, your trail shoes. And we're going to go hike with Moses up to Mount Nebo. And uh, you might think of Mount Sinai. Uh, but we're going to go with him to the last mountain that he climbed and to the place where uh, he was laid to rest. It's at the end of his life. And Moses is heading there uh, because God directed him to go. And when he gets to the top of Mount Nebo, God lays out in front of him the promised land. Mount Nebo is on the east side of the Jordan River. And as you would look west... Across the Jordan River, you would see the promised land and the Mediterranean Ocean. And that was the area the Israelites were heading in uh, as their own possession. And uh, what God did was take Moses up and showed him before he died. and showed Moses the future that God had from that high perch. He got to see Moses did in God's grace what was yet to come. That even though Moses and his life was at an end, God's work had not ended. That the work continued on in spite of Moses, in spite of even a failure of Moses. God's grace shines through. In spite of uh, Moses' inability to continue to lead well the people, God's grace comes shining through. In spite of Moses' sin, God graced him to be able to see what was yet to come and the promise yet to be fulfilled. Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 34. And... uh, We're going to see. In fact, there's a picture. Can we put the picture up? This is a view from the top of Mount Nebo. If you're curious what it looks like. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land. From Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, that's the Mediterranean, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Why would Moses not be allowed to cross over into it? If you turn back to chapter 32, in verse 51, there's a description. Something had happened, an event took place, something transpired that disqualified Moses, not from the grace of God, but from entering into this final part of Moses' journey with God. He said, this is because both of you, he and Aaron, you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah and Kadesh in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I'm giving to the people Israel. But yet God in his grace still allowed Moses, after all of Moses' life, 
And after all that God had done through Moses, Moses does get to glimpse into the future that was to come, the future that was in God's hands. Certainly, Moses didn't know all the details of how God would transport them into that land and how they would take possession of it, but it was still yet to come. This morning, I want to talk to you about keeping faith with God. Keeping faith with God. Moses, there was a moment when he broke faith with God. And and here's how the story went. That there was a time early after they had escaped from captivity in Egypt, and they were heading toward Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, and on the way they got really thirsty. And you would think after everything the Israelites saw, they had been prisoners and captives for a long time, and then these great signs and wonders began to happen. God was doing them through Moses. The ten plagues came across Egypt. God was demonstrating that he was more powerful than a supposed God in Egypt with every single one of the plagues. And the Israelites watched all of this transpire. And then, that wasn't enough, on their way out of Egypt, not only were they just like picked up by the, the waistband and the collar and thrown out, they were begged to leave. In fact, they were given treasures on their way out. Just like God had said would happen. And then Moses changes his mind, or uh, Pharaoh changes his mind and comes pursuing them hot on their trail. They're standing with nothing but water in front of them and an army, the greatest army on earth behind them. And here they stand and they watch God part the waters of the Red Sea so that they could walk across on dry land, it says. And when the Egyptians tried to cross, the waters closed and God protected and provided for their future. Now after all of that, How can the people be crazy? After all of that, how can the people wonder if God was with them? God was going with them by a pillar of cloud at the day and a pillar of fire at night. And yet still, at a moment of crisis or a crossroads, the question emerged in them, is God with us? Will God provide food for us? God says, yes, here's manna. A little while later, we're tired of manna. Can we get something else? God provides something else. They come to a place and they're thirsty and they're in the wilderness. They grow desperate. Is God really with us? Is He really going to provide for us? And it was a question of disbelief. It was a question that God is not here and God is not going to act. And so they complained to Moses, what have you done? You brought us? We had a good life in Egypt. Right? Isn't it funny how when you get into a crisis moment, how often our perspective gets skewed? And we can look back at other really bad moments and think, well, that wasn't so bad. And they said, hey, we have food in Egypt. We have things there that we don't have now. What's going to happen? And so God says to Moses, he says, take the staff, the same staff that uh, God had worked in Moses, and it was a symbol of God's presence with Moses The same staff that had been turned into a snake. The same staff that uh, touched the Nile River and it turned into blood. The same staff that was held out over the Red Sea as it parted. And he is to take that and he's to go to approach a rock. And and he's told to strike the rock. He's told to gather the elders so everybody can bear witness. And he goes up to this rock with a staff and he hits it. And what happens? It opens up and water flows forth from that rock. And the people are wowed. Moses was told to strike the rock, and he did. And water came forth. At a future time, most of that generation had passed. 
A new generation was being raised up and preparing to enter into the promised land and learning to walk with God. And they're at another moment where they grow thirsty. And they're at another moment where they're complaining and wondering, is God present and is He going to do anything? I don't think He can. I don't think He's here anymore. What's going on? And they start complaining at Moses again. And when they're complaining at Moses, what they're doing in that arrangement, they're actually complaining against God. And so as they're doing that, they're showing their disbelief. Moses, as he was apt to do, got all ticked off. Moses really struggled with anger. God worked on Moses for a long time about his anger. And you see it cropping up in different moments in Moses' life. And Moses gets mad and he goes before God and says, what are we going to do with these people? And then he, he goes back before the people and he, he says to them, are, are Aaron and I supposed to provide you water? God says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your staff again. And I want you to go to the rock and I want you to speak to the rock. You notice the difference already? I don't want you to strike it like you did prior. I want you to speak to the rock and water's going to come forth. Moses is mad. <laughs> Moses is mad. He's got to deal with these people. <laughs> the people have to deal with Moses too. I bet they're mad too. Everybody's mad. Moses goes to the rock. And he takes his staff. What's he supposed to do to the rock this time? Speak to it. What's going to happen? The Bible says the water's going to come forth. What's Moses do? He hits the rock again. Not once, but twice. And God in his grace still let water flow. But was Moses obedient? No. It was a really serious deal for Moses to do that act because he was betraying his leadership role before the people with God. And so when God says, Moses, you broke faith with me, there, there were consequences to that disobedience. There are consequences to our disobedience to the Lord. And Moses suffered those consequences. In fact, the very thing that he had led the people, not just out of captivity, but he was going to lead them into the promised land. He was not allowed to do it. He was allowed to see it. That's a gift of God's grace. But he was not going to be the one to lead them in. That would be Joshua. Moses strikes the rock. We are called in the scripture to be people who walk by faith and not primarily by things that we see. We are called to be spiritual people, to be tuned in to the things of God's Spirit, to be tuned into a world that's a spiritual world. And we're called to walk by faith, not just by what we can understand or see or manage or control. We're called to walk by faith. In what ways are you tempted to break faith with God? You know, the Bible is filled with statements that clearly talk about ways that, that we are to, choices that we are to make when the opportunity presents itself. And one choice is life-giving right with God, and another choice is death, blow, sin. And there are very clear statements throughout the Scripture. And the question that I want to ask you today is, are you wrapping your life in the faith of God, in the presence of God, in the purpose of God? Or are we wrapping our lives with our own concerns of our lives? Do we get so wrapped up in the concerns of my life that there's no room to allow God to wrap me in His good grace, in His faith building? Are we being faithfully committed to our spouse? The Bible says that we're to be just and honest in our business practices. Is that what we and you are doing? Kids, youth, students, we're called to honor our parents. 
If you're a follower of Christ today as a child or as a student, that command has bearing on your life as well. To honor your mother and your father. The Bible clearly has statements that we are to wrap ourselves in God's goodness and grace. But the question, one of the questions I want to ask is, are you wrapping yourself in other things? Where are you most tempted to break faith with God? There are times when God will come into your life and He'll prompt you. He'll stir in your heart and and He will guide your heart towards something. You feel connected to, to something in a special way. Whatever that is, you fill in the blank. But there are times when instead of pursuing that prompting from God's Spirit, we might wrap ourselves in fear or we'll wrap ourselves in deafness. I don't hear you. Have you ever done that? (laughs) How do I know that that happens? (laughs) I've done that before. God, I don't want to hear this. No. Say it ain't so, please. Sometimes we wrap ourselves in refusal. Refusal to just simply trust and to step out and to follow God. There may be times when God prompts your heart to change a job or to end a romantic relationship or to give more money or to give differently in the way that you, you generously offer your life. Maybe He asks you to go and ask a co-worker whether they really know that they are loved by God. Whatever the promptings are in your life, do you regularly follow through on them or do you wrap yourself in something else? You wrap yourself in fear or disbelief or deafness or just mere refusal to follow through and to wrap yourself and to be wrapped in the purposes of God. You know, this idea of being clothed is a, is a really clear and strong biblical image. In Ephesians, it talks about how we are to be those, as we come to Christ, we are to take off the old self the clothes of an old life, and we've repented from those choices, we've repented from those way of thinking, we've repented from the things that used to draw and attract our heart, and now we're turning to something different, something better, something that's holy in Christ. And we're to put on this new person. We're to walk in these new clothes. In fact, in the early church, baptisms were often done where people would come out and they would be wrapped in a new, fresh, white robe because it was a picture of cleansing and and being wrapped in the love and mercy of God. And it was such a beautiful image of being wrapped in the purpose of God. And from that day forward, the rest of my life, I will live my life for the purposes of God. And I will do what I need to do to continually wrap myself in the purpose of God and not just wrap myself with myself. You get pretty tied up when you do that. Did you notice? God wants you to wrap your life in Him. And when you rejoice in God's faithfulness to you, you are more capable of rejoicing and keeping faith with God. When you rejoice in God's faithfulness to you, you are more able to keep faith with God. And the inverse is also true. When you begin to lose sight of how faithful and how good God is in your life, it is so easy to be more apt to break faith with God, to turn away from your responsibilities, to turn away from the things that help you grow in your spirit, to turn away from the things that let Christ be formed more and more in you. Rejoice in God's faithfulness. A life that is surrendered to God is a life given 
in joyful service. You remember Moses? He began to first, when he was in Egypt, he began to identify with the Hebrew people. He thought that a good idea would be when he saw an Egyptian slave master mistreating a Hebrew slave. You remember the story probably? He killed that that man and he buried him in the sand and he was found out. Moses is a refugee. That's why he leaves Egypt. And for years and years and years, he becomes a shepherd, a wanderer. He gets a family, gets married. And God is working in the quiet moments on the backside of a different mountain. God is working to develop Moses' life. And you, you see some of the characteristics of Moses coming forth. And one day when he's out walking the sheep, he comes across this strange sight. This bush is over there, and it's on fire, but it's not turning to ash. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he walks over to see what's going on. And all of a sudden, a voice starts speaking to him. Wow. <laughs> wow. Take off your sandals, Moses, because you're in my presence, and where I am is holy ground. So Moses says, and that's where Moses gets his great calling. Was Moses excited to go and become a servant of the Lord? Not at first. He's like, send anybody else but me. I'm the least qualified person to do this. You don't know if I go back there. You don't know, obviously, God, of my history in Egypt. If I go, there's going to be trouble for me. God says, you're the one to go. I'm going to give you a helper. You're going to go together. And this is what you're going to do. And now, after all of that, and everything we've already talked about, been reminded of today, he stands at this rock, and instead of speaking to it as God told him to, because this new generation needs to learn to trust in the power of the Word of God. At a spoken word, things happen. When God speaks, things happen. And out of his anger, and out of his frustration, he strikes the stone and disobeys God, breaks faith. But Moses is one who teaches us, even at the end of his life, even, even in his failing, God wasn't done with Moses. Moses wouldn't be the one to lead them into the promised land, but God is still so graceful and full of grace. He, he allows Moses to see and to know the future, that even if Moses isn't part of the future, God's future is bright. And that's the same in a church like this. God's future is bright when we're wrapped in the purposes of God. You see, you and I find little energy to be wrapped up in ourselves. Moses, it took him a long time to learn that. He was growing in it. As towering of a figure, Moses is in the Scripture. In fact, it describes that there is no greater prophet than Moses until the one Jesus comes into the world. But at the end of chapter 34, we see Moses at the top of Mount Nebo. He's looking west across the promised land. And he's seeing the future of God from that vantage point. And he, he dies there. He's buried. Nobody knew where he was buried. The, the people mourned for him. And in verse 9, it says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him. So you see, there's already a transition happening from the leadership of Moses to the leadership of Joshua. But the point isn't about leadership, it's about what God is doing. And it's about the people learning. And about you and me learning to wrap ourselves in the purposes of God. Not just in my own inclinations. And to be purpose-filled with that. What is it for you that would allow you to be more wrapped up in the purposes of God today and less wrapped up 
in yourself. You know, David is described in the book of Acts, King David, as one who served God's purpose in his generation, and then he died. If we drew a blank line here, and you were to write your name on that blank line, is that what would be said of your life, that fill in your name, served God's purpose in his or her generation, and then she died, and then he died? I don't know if there could be a greater thing written on a tombstone than something like that. Taking off your old self and walking every day in the renewal of Christ Jesus. We put on our hiking shoes. I want you to go with me. There's another picture here. Anybody tell where that picture is taken from? It is. It's Mount Tam. You can see on the left side, at the far top part, you can see the East Bay and San Francisco over here and Angel Island and Tiburon, Belvedere. You can see Strawberry, parts of Mill Valley and Sausalito. This is part of where many of us live. The Bay Area is our home. What is the future that we see as God would have us peer out in the days and months and years to come? How is it that we might see God's Spirit come and fill this county? You know, there's a picture of the marine layer there, and that things like that, or when you see the marine layer come in over the marine headlands, that's often been a, a prayer prompt for me, is that God would flood this county in the same way that fog comes in, that God's Spirit might so move through this county, and that whatever the, the percentages are, the 5% of people right now that are professing and active followers of Jesus... What would it be like in 10 years if that was 25%? 25% of the residents, or 50%, because a great act of God happened here in our generation. What would that be like if people said, I didn't think God would ever do anything in Marin County? They're like, I know I didn't either. But look what's happened. Well, how did it happen? Tell me what you did. We just trusted God and we followed Him. We did a few things, but it wasn't the things that were most important. It was God's timing and God working through us. That's part of my prayer, my ongoing prayer for over 20 years, is that I and we might see God move in such a way here. You've made a financial pledge, some of you, many of you today, to express your commitment to participate in the kingdom of God. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. And we want to continue to work together in that. But how will you pray for the work of God to move forth that we might see a great movement of God in our lifetime? How will you allow God to work through you and your generation? And then you can die. What better could be said? That you served God in your generation. And then your end came. Boy. I, for one, think that would be wonderful. I hope that's said of me. I want it to be said of you. I want it to be said of me. In the next few weeks together, we're going to be looking together at some of the various aspects of what I'm envisioning for our church down the road, of ways of engaging in our county and seeing, I hope, uh, a renewed focus and effort and energy placed into the county. And uh, I pray that God would bless that time together. So stay tuned. We're going to hopefully peer and maybe see what God has in store for us in the Sundays to come.
Father, we pray today that you would help us and prepare us and you would stir us. That, uh, you've been working in our hearts about finances and uh, we've uh, dedicated those to you today. And if we haven't been able to do that today, um, God, stir us. And if it be your calling for us to c- contribute here, that you would make that re- real in us and that we would not be able to, to resist the joy and to become a cheerful giver to you. And God, we, we look forward to knowing some of the ways that you might be working through us in, in the months to come, the ways that we can engage with you. And I pray, God, that you would be stirring our hearts, preparing us for what is to come. And we pray it in the name and for the sake of Jesus, so that the gospel might go forth into our communities, into our areas where we live, so that we could see a great stirring of your Holy Spirit. We pray for a great outpouring and a new awakening here. It's been done. It's been noted in different places and different times. And we pray that Marin County might be one of those spaces that people of history would look back and say, we don't know what happened, but God did something amazing there. And that we would see many brothers and sisters come to faith. Guide us, we pray. We need your leadership. We want to keep faith with you. Keep your faithfulness to us ever before us. Go ahead of us. And may we follow faithfully now, we pray in Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me? Pull out your music sheet. We're going to sing the first two verses of our last song.